Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. We and we all that. still wear clothes today. <laughs> we do. <laughs> to this day, we are still clothed. At Popular Science, we report and write dozens of science and hex stories every week. And while most of the stuff we stumble across makes it into our articles, we also find plenty of weird facts that we just keep around the office. So we figured, why not share those with you? Welcome to The Weirdest Thing I Learned This Week from the editors of Popular Science. I'm Rachel Feltman. I'm Jess Bodie. I'm Claire Maldorelli. So on The Weirdest Thing I Learned This Week, we start by each offering up a little tease of some kind of fact or story that we found in the course of our fascinating day-to-day lives as popular science reporters and editors. And then we decide which one we just absolutely have to hear more about first. Then, once we've all had time to spin our little science yarns, we reconvene and decide what the weirdest thing we learned this week actually was. So, Claire, why don't you start with your tease? I would love to. There is a condition called jalapeno thumb. Hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Jess, how about you? I would like to talk about a Hungarian countess who was accused of being a vampire. Mm. So a few weeks ago, I had a fact that started with babies being a sideshow attraction and ended with Nazis. And this week, I have a fact that starts with Benjamin Franklin sitting around naked and ends with Nazis. <laughs> it has come full circle. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so which one do we want to hear first? I like vampires. Yeah. Okay. Let's start with vampires. Great. I would love to start. The reason I got hooked on this Countess story is because I was catching up with an old college professor from undergrad from the University of Pittsburgh, Go Panthers. And this professor taught this class called Vampires, colon, Blood and Empire. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it was one of my favorite classes ever. And it was all about the history of vampires. They've been around for in, you know, in history books and records for basically a thousand years. And they've percolated through different cultures. And it says a lot about these different cultures. So anyway, I was talking to this professor and she reminded me of this figure named Elizabeth Bathory. And she was a very grim figure. So I decided to dig into her history. She was a Hungarian countess from the 16th and 17th centuries. She was born in Transylvania. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. Very key fact there. Um, And then she married into Hungarian royalty. Things were pretty chill for a while. um, And then her husband died. And then things just like went off the rails. (laughs) Um, 
strange rumors started circulating that she was murdering her servants and torturing them. And like they were all just young women, too. It was very strange. The Hungarian king heard that this was going on. He was like, oh, that's pretty weird. Like, let's hold a trial and figure out what's going on. Um, let's hold a trial. Yes. Let, it, let us um, really figure out what's going on here. They found out through this trial that she had for sure, they had evidence of her killing 80 women. Which is interesting because usually when a bunch of rumors start about a woman living alone doing nefarious things, it is like not true. Totally. Yeah. This is the exception, <laughs> That's I guess. That's just like the Salem witch trials. So totally. It, totally. it is uh, shocking that in fact she was murdering people. Yeah. It's a real plot twist. It is, it is shocking. <laughs> and, you know, they had evidence of 80 people, but really... The estimates say that she killed over 600 young women back then, which would make her the most deadly serial killer of all time, if that holds up. Or the most deadly one that got caught. Mm. Ha ha. (laughs) And so she was always, you know, a troubled child growing up. She always, like, wanted to see the servants getting punished, you know, growing up. So there's always, like, some signs that she was a little bit of of a sadist. But it seemed like the power really went to her head maybe when her husband died. And critically, you know, went, with all of these murders, she, people, like, saw her bathing in the blood of her victims. Um, she yeah. was very, very fixated on the blood. So people thought that was a, that she was a vampire for this reason. <laughs> that could be a bad sign. <laughs> yes, you know, key sign there. The reason she did this is because bathing in blood, especially the blood of virgins, was thought to, you know, increase, like, your youthfulness, like, make your, your skin, like, just glowing and make you look young. Young blood. <laughs> People are obsessed yeah, with young blood. through the centuries. Yeah, like tech moguls are still trying to get their hands on young blood, and it's working. Don't Teenagers, don't sell your blood <laughs> to tech billionaires. Yeah, really. Well, and then there are the, the vampire facials. Yeah, I was going to—yes, I, I, I was, that was my next point. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, as, as you probably know, vampire facials are where— you, I don't know vampire oh, facials. Hold on to your seat, Claire. You get your blood drawn. It's your own blood. It's not somebody else's blood. Okay, good. But they, like, spin it to get the platelets, like the plasma. Mm-hmm. And then they do, like, microdermabrasion, I think. Or it's like they do the needling on your face mm-hmm, with your mm-hmm. own blood to, like, get the platelets into your skin. Right? Yeah, it's basically, like, plumping up your skin with your own blood. Mm-hmm. You bleed your own blood. And then they stick Nobody it in your face. Bleed my own blood. <laughs> Wait, but this is not a proven successful treatment, or it is. So there are some studies that show that it like encourages tissue regeneration, kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. But it's not supposed. It's not going to be like. It's not going to cure your wrinkles, like people say it will. Right. Right. No miracle. No, it's not. Cream. It's, is no miracle. Also, won't anything that jabs a bunch of tiny needles in your face encourage tissue regeneration? Because totally. your body will be like, we need to regenerate this tissue. Yes. So I, I wonder how much the uh, blood actually contributes. That's a really good point. I wonder too. <laughs> Cracked the case. <laughs> but back to vampires. I also just wanted to talk about a few of my favorite all-time greatest hits vampire facts. Um, because vampires have been around for a thousand years. There are so many great facts. I feel like I need this. I don't know very much about vampires. I'm so happy to provide. (laughs) So my absolute favorite fact, it has to do with how people used to bury vampires or people that they thought were vampires. Mm -hmm. And after they would bury them, they would sprinkle poppy seeds on the grave because because vampires are compulsive counters. <laughs> so okay, checks out. Yes. So when the vampire oh, wow. would rise, um, 
when the sun would set, when it was at night, when the vampire would rise, it would suddenly see all of the seeds around it and would have to count every single one oh before going God. to on the hunt. One poppy seed. A two poppy seed. Remember? <laughs> There's literally a Sesame Street character. I was going to bring that up. Bee count, who obviously teaches children how to count. <laughs> and I want to know who on the Sesame Street staff is super deep into vampire lore. (laughs) You know, like this is so deep. So there are a lot of funny burial things too, like the counting. Um, People also, oh, I came across this one report of people saying that they would exhume a vampire and steal its sock and fill it with a bunch of little pebbles and throw it in a river. So not only would the vampire feel like his outfit was incomplete and have to <laughs> recomplete his outfit. Once he found his sock, he would have to count the pebbles. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's going to, that's several hours of yes of time you've bought yourself. Yes, definitely. And the last thing I thought was interesting about vampire burials, people have found bodies from 17th century Poland with, they were buried with a sickle. Um, and the sickle was kind of like around like the chest and neck area of these people. Mm. If they were a supposed vampire and they were to sit up and get out of their grave, they would just be decapitated. Oh, wow. Oh, God. Like a little booby trap. <laughs> the worst kind of booby trap. <laughs> yeah. Um, which in my thought process is like, why not just decapitate it? While it's sleeping? Right. Or just like, yeah, like quote unquote sleeping. Right. Or like, I guess it's like it's rude if you cut someone's head off and they're not a vampire. I guess that's maybe they worried that they would face like divine retribution for. Yeah, that's a great point. That's desecrating the body. But like, if it's a vampire, (laughs) yeah, reading into vampires again, you know, googling around, falling into Wikipedia holes. Um, I was also reading a little bit about why people were accused of being vampires in the first place, and I came across this condition called porphyria. Which is a group of diseases. Oh, God. I think I'm going to get them now. (laughs) This is not good for me. It's when these substances in your body called porphyrins, I believe, is how you would say it. They build up and they um, affect your skin and your nervous system. And basically it makes you very pale and very sensitive to sunlight. So, like, if you go out in the sun and you had one of these diseases that falls under the porphyria umbrella, your skin might blister or Mm. react very poorly. Mm. And also another symptom of this would be that your gums recede, mm. so your teeth look really big. Oh, um, so, And it also can affect your mental state too, right? All I know is that when I was a goth middle schooler, one of my favorite poems was uh, called Porphyria's Love Song or something like that. And it was about a man going crazy and strangling his girlfriend with her hair. I think. Oh, my God. God. I was, like I said, goth middle schooler. Yeah. I don't remember the details, but I know sure. Porphyria was involved. Well, that would make sense. And people think that it could happen with inbreeding, too, which was the case a lot of the times in these 16th and 17th century royal families like Elizabeth Bathory, mm. not saying that she had this disease. But people thought that Vlad the Impaler had Porphyria or a version of it. Um, and he is the one that Dracula, Bram Stoker's right. Dracula, is based on. A very stabby man. Truly quite stabby. <laughs> um, loved a good steak. Those are my facts. Wow. That's crazy. I love vampires. I'm going to get Porphyria now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We're going to take a quick break and uh, then we'll be back. Okay, we're back. And Claire, 
you have some spicy thumbs to tell us about. Yes, I do. Very excited about it. A little while ago, maybe a few weeks ago, I was talking to my sister on the phone. We were catching up about our lives, as we do. And she was like, Claire, <laughs> last week I got a jalapeno thumb. And I was like, what is that? I'm a health editor and also a hypochondriac, and I have never heard of this disease. So <laughs> it doesn't exist. Tell me so I can add it to my arsenal. <laughs> so she told me what happened. She was making pico de gallo. And about a half hour after she finished, her thumb started burning. She ran it under water, washed it off with soap, scrubbed it, soaked it with hot water. Nothing helped. Mm. The burning continued. So she looked at it, and it didn't seem like there was anything, like, broken or any cuts or anything like that. But it just literally wouldn't stop burning. So she did, like, any good Maldorelli sibling would, she turned to Dr. Google, which confirmed to her that she was suffering from, quote-unquote, jalapeno thumb, and soaking her thumb in milk would help. She did that, and a little while later, the burning subsided. That intrigued me. (laughs) (laughs) I had never heard of jalapeno thumb before because I think that medium-style store-bought salsa is spicy, so I'm very (laughs) out of the loop on any spicy diseases. But after my Google PubMed Wikipedia searching, it turned out that she was indeed right, as always. (laughs) (laughs) So on the internet, there are a lot of names for this common condition, including jalapeno thumb, though I will admit to my point, this is not the most common name, and it's actually quite rare to call it jalapeno thumb. So I don't know what internet site she was on. It was definitely (laughs) not WebMD, which is where I start. It's also called hot pepper hands, jalapeno hands. And Hot the most, pepper. yes, that's actually more common name for it. And the most common being Hunan hand syndrome. One article on the University of Maryland School of Medicine's website notes contact with other body parts give rise to other terms such as quote unquote Hunan nose or Hunan eye. Mm-hmm. Interesting. The Hunan in Hunan hand syndrome refers to Hunan cuisine, also known as Xiyang cuisine, which is from the Hunan region of China and is known for its liberal use of chili peppers. Mm. So what is this syndrome? The condition is caused by capsaicin, which is a chemical compound found in the fruit of plants within the capsaicin family. These include red chili peppers, jalapenos, and habaneros. It's a colorless and odorless compound, which binds to pain receptors, and this triggers the sensation of intense heat or burning. For certain people, this can be incredibly painful. For my sister, she said when she figured it out what it was and that it was relatively benign, she said she just waited a while and the burning stopped. And I was like, that would not have been me, (laughs) but okay, congrats. But she did say it did go on for hours. And when I looked at some blogs in which people complained about jalapeno hand and red pepper hand, some blogs said it was incredibly painful. And quote unquote, one blogger said, I seriously felt like I wanted to cut off my fingers, anything to relieve the pain. Wow. Goodness gracious. Apparently, the severity of the pain depends on how far down the capsaicin has reached in your tissues. So if it's a really superficial one, it's going to go away faster, which Mm. I think was my sister's case. And if it's further down, it will burn for longer. Interestingly, just as much as the medical community couldn't agree on a name for it, they also can't agree on the best way to treat it. Mm. The most medically based source 
sources say to use milk or some other type of antacid for skin and GI exposure because I guess you can like eat too much hot peppers and get the burning in your stomach, which I have heard is bad. Again, I can't tolerate medium <laughs> From the salsa. inside out? <laughs> My God. Well, we have an article on popsci.com uh, where uh, one of our uh, former writers, Kendra, ate the spiciest chip in the yes, world. And she that. described both in the article and to me, because I was there, how she could feel it going through all the way down. Just all through the intestines. That's horrifying. And I think the only other thing she ate that day was a whole pint of ice cream. <laughs> God. <laughs> and it there, was necessary. Isn't there right. also a video of that? Yes, well? there is. We will we will put that in we'll our share. Weirdest Things post this week. It's it's great. <laughs> there were a few other cool remedies that I thought I would share with you if you indeed get jalapeno thumb and milk or some other type of antacid doesn't work for you. One report from the Journal of Toxicology reported that in New Mexico, where chili peppers are often prepared by roasting and manually removing the skin from the fruit, and this is often done barehanded, it causes prolonged burning pain, irritation, and arrhythmia. So in a survey of elderly Hispanic women, treatment with oils or cool tap water were frequently used as home remedies, and a group of researchers wanted to test which one worked better. So they did this research study that I will never partake in, (laughs) in which 20 female subjects immersed their hands in a standardized slurry of green chili for 40 minutes. Oh, no. Yes, correct. Mm. That was the response (laughs) I was waiting for. (laughs) Afterwards, one hand was placed in cool tap water and the other in vegetable oil for a total of 75 minutes. Now, I feel like that's a really good study protocol, right? Yeah, it is. you're the same person. Everybody has two hands. It's yes, perfect. Exactly. Pain was scored using a visual analog scale while the hands were immersed in the chili slurry. What did they do while they were having their hands occupied for that, an hour and a half? Okay, that's a great question. And I feel like that would give rise to ways to deal with pain. Yeah. Like, yeah. If you like, find yourself in chili slurry. <laughs> there must have been so many itchy noses during the course of that study. Oh my God, Why? yeah. Well, because like their hands were submerged oh, first in true. pepper and then in, and I just know that if you if you can't scratch, everything starts to itch. So I would probably I ask the like study administrator. To there had itch, to be a to scratch my, my nose. There was, <laughs> I bet there was a grad student who was just going around just scratching. Yes, people. definitely. So conclusion: cool tap water immersion initially provided more relief, while vegetable oil provided better long term relief from mm. the pain. And I would just start with vegetable oil, then knowing that this apparently happens for hours and hours. So I would go directly for vegetable (laughs) oil. Just saying. Mm. There are a few other case reports of far more extreme examples of jalapeno thumb or hot pepper hands, in which case the person reportedly went to the emergency room and it was only managed successfully by a cocktail of medications. And I will list them all for you. One was a continuous stellate ganglion block, which is literally an injection of local anesthetic in the sympathetic nervous system of the neck. Yeah. That was accompanied by gabapentin, which I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, which is a serious nerve pain medication and anticonvulsant, plus local ice water, because why not? (laughs) And last but not least, fluosinonide application, which is a topical corticosteroid. Only at that point, the authors say, did the person find any relief. Wow. Yes. I wonder if that was just because, like, 
because it's such a weird and intense and unique pain if it like triggered their nerves to just freak out. Mm. Right, right. I wasn't actually able to access the entire article, so I wonder what the conclusions uh, that they found were that Mm. this was such a special case of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So reading all this, I feel like my sister kind of lucked out with her (laughs) jalapeno (laughs) thumb case, Um, but maybe also because she was just so calm about it that she didn't trigger all those (laughs) reactions. Interestingly, capsaicin is actually used itself as a topical analgesic medicine to treat pain, like muscle pain, itching, and neuropathy. And it does this by initially causing neuronal excitation, hello, jalapeno thumb, (laughs) and that is followed by a long-lasting refractory period at which point the neurons become desensitized to the stimulus. So it's actually pretty interesting, and it's this weird combination of like pain and relief, which Mm. I think is just really cool how the two are so interrelated. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll leave you with some final notes. While I was researching this, I was like, gosh, one day I'm just going to get jalapeno thumb. I know it, so (laughs) let me figure out how to prevent it and I was not about to get ask, it. Right. So I'm glad that you can detail this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so in the spirit of service journalism, here are two <laughs> final notes, and this is all I could find. Wear gloves mm-hmm. and do not touch your eyes while cutting hot pepper. <laughs> That's it? That's all <laughs> the internet had to offer, including a bunch of medical journals. <sighs> Fine. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Okay, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with one more fact. Hey, weirdos. Looking for awesome popular science merch? We've got you covered at popsci.threadless.com. Pick up t-shirts, notebooks, mugs, and other great swag with iconic vintage covers or modern designs. Plus, check out our podcast store and rep your favorite PopSci shows, like The Weirdest Thing I Learned This Week. All that and more at popsci.threadless.com. That's P-O-P-S-C-I dot threadless.com. All right, we're back and uh, we have time for one more fact and it's mine. So uh, we're going to start with the fact that Ben Franklin enjoyed taking what he called air baths. Other people would refer to these air baths as Ben Franklin sitting around naked. <laughs> uh, so apparently, is that technically a bath? Well, I'll, I'll I'll get into that more. So apparently, cold baths were very in vogue as a health aid at the time. But Franklin found them to be too bracing. He found cold air to be much more agreeable, and so he got up almost every morning to sit around naked for around an hour. This is according to a letter he wrote to a friend praising the virtues of the air bath. He would get up almost every morning and he would sit around naked for about an hour, uh, sometimes a little bit less if it was really cold. And then he would like sometimes go back to sleep for a couple of hours afterward. And he was like, it's strengthening and enjoyable and way less bracing than a cold water bath. And I actually found a paper on the subject from a doctor uh, in the early 1900s named uh, Gerald B. Webb. The only other thing I could find about him was that he ran a sanatorium. But he was reflecting on historical references to air bathing and speculating on the potential health benefits. And there were several other historical figures that he noted had written about sitting around naked in the air and how good it was (laughs) for them. He basically was arguing that laymen had stumbled upon like a great medical intervention and that doctors should take note. He (laughs) quoted someone in there is saying it made sense because homo sapiens is not amphibious. Uh, (laughs) So like we we spend too much time either in 
actual baths or in clothes that like trap our sweat. So mm-hmm. he was like, mm-hmm. we are open air animals. We are not swamp creatures. It seems like a way to get out of bathing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and out of Read your clothes. Lazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so into the 1900s, people were talking about um, how great it was to be naked and have the air upon you. And he had some other justifications in this paper I read. One of his arguments was that skin actually evolved to do what clothes do, but thousands of generations of wearing clothing had caused it to atrophy. So uh, if you spent more time naked, you would allow your skin to <laughs> grow and reach exoskeleton. a perfect natural state. <laughs> One other thing I learned while reading this is that in ancient Greece, the uh, physician and historian Herodotus recommended the sun as a cure for the weak and soft muscles and said that, like, the sun strengthened you. And apparently, Olympians exposed to sunlight improved their physical performance, which they were like, it's the sun. And, of course, now researchers are like, it was vitamin D. That's what yeah. I was thinking. I was like, like, they're vitamin D deficient. Um, also, like, tans give you muscle definition. So they probably also just looked more buff. <laughs> but... Um, All that Webb knew was that sunbathing had been purported to cause muscle growth. And he was like, what if it's not the sun? What if it's the air? And his (laughs) argument in this letter is that he basically says, like, well, I got all the benefits without getting a tan, so it must not be the sun, which is dumb. Um, (laughs) But anyway, then I reached a twist in the story because uh, at the end of this article – by Webb, there's a note from um, a researcher who had responded, and then he responds, you know, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but the concept of peer review is that people read your paper and, like, comment on it and decide whether or not it should be published. I think Webb just went ahead and published this. I think things were a little more loosey-goosey at the time, (laughs) but there was still a system of, like, your peers might make a note and you might take note of their note. Those notes are the best. Yeah. So somebody was like, I can't believe that you did not talk about Joseph Knowles, who is a prime example of the strengthening qualities of air for after he lived naked in the name of science, he was able to take down a bear with his own two hands. And some have said this isn't true, but I saw the area where he killed the bear, and I believe it. I'm paraphrasing, but that is literally what it said. (laughs) And Webb responded very credulously to this. He's like, oh, yes, you know, I I realize I haven't covered every aspect of being naked. He's not like, (laughs) shut up. Um, So then I was really interested in this man, Joseph Knowles, who in 1913, the Boston Post sponsored. He was a professional illustrator, and he wanted to go live naked in the woods in Maine for a couple months. And asked the Boston Post to pay for him to do so. And he was like, I, he was going to live like a totally wild life, mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. clothes, no nothing. And he was like, I will write updates and draw illustrations on like pieces of birch with charcoal and leave them for you <laughs> oh so that you can update your articles. And it was a big hubbub, not surprising. He was a naked man who decided to live in the woods. He went missing for a while. Uh, he went in with a jock strap and immediately threw it away. So he was literally just naked out in the woods. Oh um, and again, he claimed to have killed a small bear with a club in his own two hands. Who claimed it? Him himself? Yes. Uh, and it later came to light that he actually went and hung out at a friend's cabin and, like, pouted for two months, um, which is kind of perplexing because later in life he repeated the experiment, like, for real in California. Maybe not naked. I I don't know mm. if that was the case. But he did go, like, live without any assistance out in the woods. So it seems like he 
could do it. He just didn't do it at this time. The friend he stayed with was like, yeah, he was just lazy. (laughs) Um, The real damning evidence here is that the bear skin that he said came from a bear that he had killed with his own hands. Oh, no. Had bullet holes in it. Oh, uh, and Come on, man. Apparently he bought it from like a fur trapper. I do have a picture that will also be on Popside.com of him. He is still in the jock strap in this photo. Here oh. he is about to go off into the woods. Thank God he's and in he's the just kinda, He's just kind of like a normal looking kind of pudgy uh, guy. If he was standing up a little straighter, it would look like the Bigfoot photo. Yeah, <laughs> it absolutely does look like that. And even though the wilderness stunt was a total hoax, it successfully, I think, doubled the post circulation wow. and allegedly no wowed medical professionals, which is the part that I got really interested in. According to uh, the book that Joseph Knowles wrote about his own experience, and this is probably true, Harvard's uh, Dudley Allen Sargent, a physician who invented gymnasiums, uh, as we know them, and the modern concept of physical education and personal training. He, like, invented the concept of testing people for their physical fitness. So he said there was great scientific merit in this, quote, experiment, even though it was a sample size of one, which is not an experiment at all. You know, I could go into the woods and kill a bear, and all you would know is that I had gone into the woods and killed a bear. <laughs> not tell you anything about the larger population. He looked forward to seeing how a reprieve from modern society, including a salty diet, would salty alter diet. this man. Yeah, he was like, we really want to see what it's like when men don't eat salt. That was apparently at the forefront of his mind. Huh. He also said that Knowles, quote, considerable fat would protect him from the cold. Oh, burn. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> And then afterwards, and this is from Knowles's book, apparently Sargent said that he was in the pink of condition, if ever a man was, and he came out scoring way higher on Sargent's fitness test than he had before going into the woods, allegedly much higher than Harvard's football players, too. Uh, Sargent said, again, this is a quote from Knowles's book, that with his legs alone, he lifted more than a thousand pounds. <laughs> I'm skeptical. You've seen the photo. <laughs> Yeah. All of this was being spun up to be about like his exposure to the elements and not just the literal exposure to the air, as that person pointed out, responding to Webb's study on the subject, but also just like being in the forest, fending for yourself, getting back to your primal roots. And if that sounds kind of gross and troubling, it is going to get more gross and troubling. I promise. Um, Sargent also said that his skin had become more perfect due to exposure to the elements. And in fact, people love to stroke his perfect back skin when he showed up at appearances. (laughs) Sargent said it serves him as an overcoat because it is so healthful that its pores close and shield him from drafts and sudden chills, which is not how skin works, in fact. So why did everyone buy into this hype? And this is where it gets kind of gross because, uh, you know, maybe he lied. Maybe this section in his book is totally made up. But like there are um, like newspaper quotes from some of these experts saying similar things. And uh, Sargent definitely was like on board with taking these results really seriously. This story happened to fit really conveniently into a very dark narrative being pushed by many American medical professionals and just the general public at the time. And that was eugenics. It was the peak of the American eugenics movement. Yeah, I know we just talked about eugenics two weeks ago uh, in my story about sideshow babies. I promise I didn't go looking for another story with Nazis in it, but they just keep showing up. Can't get rid of them. Yeah, exactly. 
in the expert quoting section of the book, there's also a lot of talk of, um, and this is a quote, the physical welfare of the race and the degeneration caused by an urge for refinement. So there was a lot of talk in this time in like the early 1900s up into the 20s and 30s about how men, particularly white American and European men, had to get back to their like savage roots to maintain the superiority of the race. They were saying that like life indoors was too easy and it was turning us into sissies, that we needed to get out there and roll around in some dirt, preferably naked. And when I say we, I of course mean white American men. We ladies were not supposed to be rolling around in any dirt, naked or otherwise. (laughs) So even the nudist movement in Europe in the 20s and 30s had ties to eugenics uh, because nudist magazines, which I learned today were a thing, um, argued that it helped to counter the deception of clothes and makeups to promote natural sexual selection. So, you know, those tweets where it's like, take her swimming on the first date. That's what nudists did. Oh, my goodness. I'm sure there were some very nice nudists, by the way. No offense if your grandmother was a 1920s nudist. I'm sure she was lovely. And in fact, the Nazi party uh, harnessed nudism uh, in a lot of ways. They outlawed nudist groups, not surprisingly. But they also kind of uh, took this idea of celebrating bodily ideals. There's one Third Reich text that's like, we celebrate the women with the best racial background and the most beautiful bodies for breeding. No one will be able to conceal his or her flaws and weaknesses behind clothes. (laughs) So they were very much like the form, the human form. It must be perfect. Go hang out in the woods. The moral there is that even if you think you're just reading a, a romp about a man running around in the woods naked for fun, there may be a eugenics angle there. So <laughs> tread lightly. <laughs> to end on a note that has nothing to do with Nazis, I wanted to uh, know what the actual health benefits were of running around naked, if any. You know, was Benjamin Franklin on to something or did he just like being in the nude? <laughs> Which is fine. Everything I could find, I couldn't really not find any, like, hard medical literature about nudity in this regard. I did find some physicians talking about, like, specific health benefits just based on their experience. It all came down to, like, really basic things like avoiding swampiness. (laughs) (laughs) It's not good to constantly be covered in sweat and clingy clothes. And your body needs to breathe, particularly your genitals. Like, a lot of the stuff about the benefits of nudity are really about, like, sleeping without underwear on, which my mom, who's an OBGYN, has told me my whole life. Like, don't sleep with underwear on. Yeah, I've been told that, too. Yes. It's just, it's not necessary. And your body needs air. And so that's true. There's no magic to that. It's, there's nothing special about the air. It's just that there's something not great about wearing tight clothes all day. Also, if you're sleeping naked, it means you're sleeping colder. And human bodies are generally designed to want to sleep as the temperature drops because that happens at night. Mm. And that's one of the things that, like, our modern world has kind of taken away from us, those natural temperature fluctuations. So... You know, that can be a reason why uh, sleeping in the nude can be good for you. Vitamin D is great. So that doesn't mean you have to be in the nude. It does mean that spending time outside and being exposed to sun is important. Also, there's like research that spending time in the nude with friendly people you trust is good for your self-confidence and for building social bonds. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in particular contexts, like, I don't know, there are countries where people sauna together in the nude. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe... That's something you want to do. 
check in with your friends, make sure everybody's down first. But like, sure, <laughs> that that could help you bond and all feel good about your bodies, which is important. Um, so the real takeaway is do what you feel and wear breathable fabrics, but probably no particular health benefits to just like sitting outside in the woods naked for an hour every day mm. um, if it makes you feel good and you're not bothering anybody with your forest nudity. That's oh, fine. I would be afraid of ticks. Yes, that is a good point. So actually, I take that back. Even if you think it's good for you, do a tick check. A and poison thorough ivy. tick check. <laughs> yes, and stay away from poison ivy. Basically, if you're going to do nude air bathing, I would recommend like an enclosed porch or like a window just, like, be in a large room with a window, mm. which is what Benjamin Franklin did. I don't think he was, like, rolling around in the mud anywhere. So he had it right all along. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Wise old Ben. <laughs> That's it. That's the whole story. What was the weirdest thing we learned this week? I learned a lot about vampires. Same. I really like vampires now. Oh, yeah. oh my God, really? Yeah. Wow, that's great. I feel like they were just such an unknown to me. I had no connection. <laughs> now I have a new disease. <laughs> well, congratulations, Jess. Yes, victory. <laughs> the Weirdest Thing I Learned This Week is a popular science podcast. We're available on all major podcast platforms, so subscribe wherever you're listening now. And if you like what you hear, please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other weirdos find the show. You can buy our merch, including Weirdest Thing t-shirts, tote bags, and mugs at popside.threadless.com. The show is produced by all of our hosts, including me, Rachel Feltman, and our editor, Jason Letterman. Our theme music is by Billy Cadden. If you have questions, suggestions, or weird stories to share, tweet us at weirdest underscore thing. Thanks for listening, weirdos. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.